this is Dr. Ansel Saldivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. And um, one of the things I enjoy about the podcast is connecting with people. Um, it's given me an opportunity to connect with friends and folks that I've that I've met in my professional life, my personal life. Uh, today, my guest is uh, someone I've met in my professional life, and um, you know he was. Um, so gracious enough to, to, to say, to tell me that he wanted to come on the podcast and share his story. He was ready. I believe the words he used were, you were ready to share your story. So I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to him and I'm going to let him introduce himself. So Gabe, why don't you take it away? So thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, I shared with you, I'm, yeah, I'm ready to share my story, but I'm also naturally, you know, I'm human, I'm nervous about it, uh, but ready to begin this conversation. Uh, I think about um, a couple of years ago when we were at UTRGV together, you had asked, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And that has forever been in my mind as a commitment that I've wanted to fulfill. So when I saw your your call, I was like, let's do this. I'm, let's, I'm ready. <laughs> it's been like four years in the making for this conversation to happen. So thank you so much for having me here today. Um, my name is uh, Dr. Gabriel Benra. Um I am a higher education professional for the last 13 years of my life. Um, I currently serve as Excelencia in Education Senior Research Analyst. Um, and I also serve as an adjunct faculty member for Sam Houston State University's Higher Education Graduate Program, teaching in their online master's program there. And I also serve as a visiting scholar with the Rutgers Center for Minority Serving Institutions, where I'm doing some research on academic advising practices within and across minority serving institutions. Um, my career has predominantly focused on student success, uh, specifically in the areas of retention and completion. And most recently, now including post-completion success uh, with some of the research that I'm doing with Excelencia. Um, I am very passionate about higher education, specifically in serving my Latino community. And you'll find that I think a lot of my history and my story resonates with that on my personal why of why higher education, why this space, why, why these efforts and these uh, intentions going forward. Um, yeah. Awesome. No, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I, um, I think just in our conversations, so when we're talking to anybody, right, we get little bits and pieces and people mm -hmm. share little things about themselves. And so I'm eager to hear your story. You're keeping yourself very busy. Yeah, definitely keeping busy. A hundred percent. Yeah. Never a dull moment. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so Gabe, I, um, I ask all of my guests if they had to point to a moment when they said, when you could say, my educational journey started here, started at this point, what would that point be for you? So that's a deep question. So I would say my educational journey actually started before I was even born. Um, in my dissertation, I dedicated it to my grandparents on my father's side and my mother's side. Um, and I put in there, you know, thank you for teaching me the lessons of resilience and grit and perseverance and hard work ethic and learning to be and my authentic self, you know. 
um, those were lessons generations in the making, though. That wasn't something that, you know, just at least now I can say, you know, that, that wasn't just something that I just ended up with. These were things that came from pockets of knowledge that were in my family. Um, my grandfather was a farmhand my, uh, on my dad's side. All seven of all six of his sons, one daughter, seven, uh, six sons, um, worked in the fields growing up. And um, my grandfather valued hard work, my grandfather valued loyalty, and my grandfather valued um, his culture. Uh, very machismo. <laughs> um, and my grandmother was, um, was, may, she, may they both rest in, rest in peace, were, was a very strong willed woman you know um was very you know absolute in her values um was very unapologetically herself um and in many ways was the compliment to my grandfather's machismo machismo like approach to life right um but in those spaces um my grandfather would tell my, my dad and his brothers, you know, at eighth grade, once you're done with school, you come to work, you know. Mm. Um, for my dad in particular, my dad was like, no, I want to finish high school. You know, that's important to me. Um, and he did. He finished high school, you know. Uh, my dad very much saw work, not only manual work as important, physical work, but also understood the value of intellectual work, right? And what an education can do for you. Mm-hmm. Um, when he met my mom uh, around senior year of high school, maybe a year out of high school, um, my mom, who was one of four sisters, um, came from an all Spanish speaking household. Um, I never met my grandfather on that side of the family. He had passed away, but um, my mom, my grandmother, who was suddenly, uh, when my mom was 15, had three younger sisters. Uh, my mom had three younger sisters and suddenly became essentially the second mother in the house with the passing of my grandfather. And my grandmother at the time only spoke Spanish and they were, uh, my grandfather, I assume, did the majority of the translating for the family when it came to the to their daughter's education. Um, my mom recalls going to school in like first grade and being told not to speak Spanish, like being physically hit with the ruler and told, you know, we don't speak Spanish. This is an English speaking school. Right. Um, well, when my mom was 15, she was suddenly in that role of like raising her other three sisters alongside my grandmother. Um, and also having my grandmother having to self teach herself English to help advocate and navigate the educational system, the American system for her daughters. Um, In that space, shortly after, I think is when my dad and her met. um, And education was again brought up. You know, my mom, I think, pushed that forward for my dad in many ways to say, you know, high school is important, but have you thought about college, right? Um, And so, yeah, that happened. My dad, my mom started school, uh, never finished. She started her, I believe, at the junior college um, in in Eagle Pass. I can't remember the name of the school that's in Eagle Pass. Um, it was a community college there. 
Um, and then she eventually like just didn't go, you know, uh, her and my dad got married eventually, but that thing about education had always been there. Um, I came into existence like two years after they were married. And I remember my, one of my earliest memories of, from my dad is your education is important. Like, I mean, I can remember him taking, telling me like at three or four, like the importance of your education. Mijo, that's something that the, that nobody can ever take away from you is your education. Yeah. It's that critical. You can do so much with what you learn, you know, apply yourself, you know, believe in yourself. Those are constant messages that were received throughout my childhood. Um, well, I think that set in, but when the reality came that I was around six, my brother was born and my mom decided to go back to school around that time. <laughs> and she is what we would describe now as a post-traditional student. She was a mom. She was in her um, 25 or older category, a Latina, right? Uh, with two children, um, trying to trying to make it work. And she went back to Texas Tech and she eventually graduated with her teaching degree um, in bilingual education and ESL education. Um, those couple of years when she went back were after my brother was born. And I remember being six around there and she's saying, Gabe, I need you to go change your brother um, while I study for this test. Gabe, I need you to feed your brother dinner while I study for this test. Gabe, I need you to give him a bath. Gabe, put him to bed. Like the notion of us going to school was more present than her going to school, mm. right? And so for us to finish school, we all had to play our part. My dad was working to provide. My mom was going to school full time. Um, I was watching my brother when she was busy studying. Um, she would come home crying because she couldn't um, college algebra, political science were subjects that I remember her struggling with, um, not knowing what they were. Mm -hmm. I just remember her like, you know, being frustrated with my with the subject matter and venting to my dad about it, you know, like, you know, and then we have the boys, you know, I just remember like echoing those components as she was trying to to work through and manage, managing being a student and motherhood and a wife and all other things happening, right? Yeah. Um, she successfully graduated. And I remember thinking, reflecting now of like, in that time I was her supporter. I was a brother. I was um, a babysitter. <laughs> um, I was son. Um, all at the age of six and thinking how those layers were there that really kind of embedded in me. Yeah. This is a community effort. Uh, she successfully graduated, I believe in the fall of 89. Um, and then my dad went back to school shortly after that and finished his associate's degree um, wow. at the local community college. Interestingly enough, I don't have very many much, I don't have very much like very many memories of my dad going to school the way I do with my mom. And I don't know if that was when the timing he went to school, maybe he went to school while I was at school. I don't like, I just, I just remember going to his graduation, yeah. you know, um, the way those, those, um, those accomplishments were received um, on the different sides of the family. At that point, I did take note um, 
how one one side of my family felt excited about that accomplishment and the other side was recognized it, but maybe didn't see the full value of it, right? Why, why do you think that was? I don't know. Like, I, I, I still struggle to, I mean, isn't that a question, right? Like, yeah. Um, like, even to this day, um, I think the, I think on my mom's side of the family, education has always been essential uh, and highly valued. Whereas yeah. on my father's side of the family, uh, manual work, physical work um, has always been the, the trade, right? The, the, the focus of where, you know, as a man, your energy should go. Yeah. You know, um, and so I think that the, the, the responses to both were a little different. Um, that's not to say that my, my dad's side doesn't value education. It's just maybe not on the top of the yeah. value list, right? Um, that I think some of those layers definitely shaped how like I view what I'm doing these days um, and laid the groundwork for when college became more of a conscious conversation for me in high school. Yeah. Gabe, I want to stop you really quick. Yeah, go for I it. Think you, um, there's a question that, that sort of just popped in my head. Yeah. Um, be, before I ask it, though, thank you. Thank you for taking us back because you're right. I think where, where it started, right, talking about your family's history and their relationship with education and opportunities and sort of this also like oppression, right, with language, um, definitely, right, set that foundation for mm-hmm. you and sort of those expectations. Given your family's sort of both sides, the relationship with education, mm-hmm. with, I, I would say, formal education, right, because we can argue yes. that that being out the manual labor that's kind of that's an, mm-hmm. an informal right still education did it did did it impact you did it did it influence your own view of like did any did either one have a higher yeah. status for you yes yes um i remember in high school um i mean i mean it just I was introduced to um, participate in the Hispa- National Hispanic Association. And that's not correct. NHI, National Hispanic Institute, um, which was a program that was that's based, I guess, here in Texas, um, NHI. And I got really involved in NHI in ninth grade. And at that moment was my first exposure to the importance of Latinos in education, right? Mm-hmm. Being surrounded for the first time uh, with students, with people like myself who were, you know, motivated in their educational efforts in a different way. Um, and I remember in that process telling my dad at some point, naively, and I say, and stupidly, I would even say, of somewhere along the way, his side of the family, and this is no disrespect to my uncles, but like somewhere along the way, that became what not to be. Wow. Right. Versus something on my mom's side, which was a higher value. Right. Um, But at that time, it was I couldn't see those pockets of knowledge that were there within the family. Right. The, you know, the grit, the work ethic, like those components weren't fully I wasn't making those connections. Yeah. Um, That's why I say it's sort of like full circle, because it starts from when it was there, you know, those were lessons learned across generations, right? But at the time as a as a ninth grader, you know, 
everything's wrong with the world except you, you know, (laughs) you know, so I was like, just not seeing it fully, you know, that level of awareness wasn't there for me just yet. Um, Now, you know, that's highly valued, very much valued. Um, But I had not yet reconciled how my brownness had informed my educational efforts and my development just yet. I was beginning that journey. Where, um, where did you go to high school game? I went to high school in Lubbock Cooper, uh, which was in Woodrow, Texas, just south of Lubbock, Texas. Mm. Um, very uh, rural space, um, at least at the time. More mm-hmm. now, not so much these days. Um, I literally grew up in across the street from the cotton field. <laughs> you know, um, FFA was really important. Football was yeah. really important. That kind of space. Um, and not very many, um, Latinos or Hispanics in my class. Um, I remember one of my, one of my, uh, in middle school, um, one of my teachers saying, you know, oh, you don't want to be like everybody else, do you? And I was like, what do you mean everybody else? Mm -hmm. And she was talking about, you know, people like me, you know? who yeah. were going on a different educational pathway is how, is how it was phrased. Like, huh, like it didn't register with me at the time what she was fully yeah. talking about, but I was like, no, I'm passing. I'm doing fine. Like that was like the concern was I'm <laughs> passing. I don't know what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that would come full circle later on, but uh, yeah. Lubbock Cooper was where I went to school. So 16, 17 year old Gabriel Bermea, Mm-hmm. What um, what is it that you were thinking? Were you, you thinking about college? What is it that you that we always get asked this right when we're young? What did you want to be when you grew up? What were you, what were you thinking about? Uh, dentistry point? school. <laughs> yeah. Um, so around like ninth grade, like I said, I got into NHI, and I was thinking, yeah, college became a more um, more focused goal. Um, I had settled on going to UT Austin. Um, just because I saw myself there, my family didn't see our, see myself there, right? They were like, mijo, that's too much, you know. Um, the realities of college becoming, you know, fiscally uh, cost prohibitive in some ways started coming up. Um, but yeah, I had like aspired to like do something in the, like specifically in the industry. My dad has a friend in San Antonio to this day who's still a, a very successful dentist in San Antonio who does very, very well for himself. But um I saw that. I saw that success. And I was like, oh, I could do that. You know, like, but having never been in a dentist, you know, shadowed anybody or, you know, I just thought, oh, yeah, he looks like me. I could do that. You know, Um, that representation resonated with me on a different level. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. Um, So, yeah, that was the idea was I was going to be a dentist, Um, go to dentistry school major i guess in chemistry biology i don't know um (laughs) that quickly like i quickly learned um in that first semester that the sciences are not my forte (laughs) i was like like, well maybe not so much you can change the plan um but all those who are wonder are not lost you know so i was just like yeah you know we'll figure this out along the way but yeah um that was the Industry was the goal at that point. So recognizing that science wasn't a strong point for you. 
Yeah. What was next? Where did you turn um, your efforts? Well, after graduating, I officially went enrolled in Texas at Texas Tech University. Um, I got into the school on scholarship. I had received a DEI scholarship. Uh, forgive me for not remembering what it was called, but I went to that first semester. Um, I did okay. I didn't do great, but I did okay. Um, I had an 8 a.m. chemistry course. <laughs> I have no idea, but I mean, that probably also contributed to my, you know, <laughs> my, you know, not interested in science effort um, yeah. because I dropped that course probably like four weeks in. I was like, yeah, wow. this isn't going to work. Like, you know, going into a large lecture hall at 8 a.m. in the morning, you know, um, trying to keep up content that I had not really, you know, fully understood, was not fully prepared for. Um, nor was I like motivated or interested in it. You know, <laughs> I was in it for something else, right? Um, for what it could provide me, I guess, in the end. Yeah. But it wasn't... Um, personal fulfilling personally fulfilling in any way you know yeah um that after that first semester i lost that scholarship oh you know um and thus my journey began (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah i'm losing that scholarship and that really like i don't understand when my parents are like what were you doing and i was like i don't know if this is for me like, I remember specifically thinking that, like, I was like, why am I here? Like, I started questioning, like, you know, all this, like, motivation that I had done, you know, and like going to college. And I was like, is this really where I need to be? You know, yeah. Um, I enjoyed, I got involved with the band, which I absolutely loved. At one point, I was, I, at one point, I was a music performance major, a music education major. Like, I thought, oh, we'll go music 100%, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, I, maybe not. At one point, I was a social work major, an economy major, undeclared at one point. <laughs> um, I was all over the place for those first couple of years. Um, and I, my, my heart was in the, in the music, but my, like, but other than that, nothing else was in my, like, I wasn't invested in my education. And I quickly found out early on um, that I wasn't really there for me. You know, Um, I was there because it was expected. That was the next step. Yeah. You know, Um, and I just was like, why am I here? What am I doing? You know, what's what am I going to learn? You know, what can I do? here that I, you know, why do I need to be here if I can be out in the world working, doing something like those, like old school, I don't say old school, but you know, those, those, you know, I could work and be okay, you know, and go on. Um, So when you, when you have that realization, I mean, at this point you're still in school, but do you take time off? What do you, what do you, what does one do? Cause I think, um, I, I think a lot of our, our listeners, a young people can yeah. probably resonate with this, right? Cause they're, they might find themselves in that situation. So what yeah. did you do? Um, well, the thing is I didn't do anything. And as a result of doing anything, the school said, we'll let you take time off. We're going to give you the time off. Mm. Right. Yeah. I was placed on probation. Right. And then I was placed on, on suspension. Because I wasn't fully like investing my time and my efforts properly into my education. I was going through the motions, 
Um, in some cases, not all cases, because there were some classes that I distinctly remember just not going to. Um, and I just like completely divested myself, right? And trying to figure out the next steps, trying to think of where can I go to like help find this next, these guidance and support. Um, that yeah, eventually like I was kicked out. Texas Tech said, thank you, but you know, go figure it out somewhere else. Like that was sort of the message I received, right? Yeah. Um, that's at least what I decoded from what they said. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I ended up taking like two years off, one of which was required. Yeah. Um, and then the next step was, I remember saying, okay, uh, going out into the real world and thinking, oh, I'll just get a job, no big deal. Um, and you always see those like job ads where they say, you know, bachelor's degree, you know, or years of experience, you know, in, in lieu of, oh yeah, I can do this job, not a big deal. And I remember applying and applying and just getting my butt handed to me every single time saying, thank you, but no, thank you, you know? Um, and just the door just being shut every single time that I applied for those jobs thinking yeah. I could do that work, but that credential wasn't there. Um, yeah. Um, so two years off and then two years off. And then, um, I believe like in the summer of five, uh, I went and spoke to the Dean and <laughs> even to this day speaking to that to this dean i will not mention him by name but like (laughs) um i went into his office i set up an appointment i went to his office and you know i said i'm basically pleaded my case i'm ready to come back yeah um and i don't think he remembered me and i say this because i had him as a freshman um, my very first year of college I want to say it was my first year. Um, and he taught uh, Mexican-American history. It was, a, mm-hmm. it was a junior level course. Don't ask me what a freshman was doing in a junior <laughs> level course, but I remember taking that course. I still have those textbooks to this day. Um, and I struggled with that course. Um, I ended up, I think, with a C in the course. I don't, I don't fully remember. Um, but he ended up being the dean that I walked in to meet with. <laughs> Um, and I introduced myself. I said, hello, my name is Gabriel Vermeer. I'm really interested in, you know, returning to the university, you know, and he said, Gabriel, Vermeer. I said, yeah, Gabriel. He's like, no, 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 Gabriel Vermeer. You have to realize that for me, anytime somebody spoke in Spanish, that was a shift in tone and resonated with me on a different vibrance uh, frequency. My grandmother was really the only person that spoke to me in Spanish. And so when that, when Spanish started with that conversation, I was immediately just stunned, like walking into that space. It re it was a reset button for me. Um, like I'm shaking now thinking about because it really reverberated with me in that time. You know, this is wow. he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to have this conversation in Spanish. Now I understand Spanish. I speak it somewhat. Okay. Um, but in that moment I was completely speechless, you know, and I found myself saying, see, 
or null a couple of times, you know, because he was just asking direct questions. And basically the marching orders were, you need to go somewhere else to show that you're ready and willing. And by definition of ready and willing is you need to come back with a 4.0 GPA. Anything less will result in you not returning to the institution. And I remember thinking, oh, crap, like who is going to like accept me with my academic record in its current state? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had to go. I ended up going to a private institution in Lubbock for one semester, one summer session. Um, got a 4.0, went back to the dean. Here's my transcript with my grades, as promised, as requested, and as promised, I've delivered. Okay. Well, I don't ever want to see you again in my office. <laughs> Enjoy your fall semester. Like, I just remember thinking, oh, finally, like that one obstacle was done, you know? Yeah. And of course, these are obstacles of, of, of my own creation, right? Like, these are things that I did to myself that I was like, oh, I had just done this right the first time, right? I'm going to put right in quotes, okay? Um, but yeah, I started, went back in the fall of, of 05, I think, 05 or 06. I can't remember the exact year. I want to say 06. Um, and I finally, like, yeah, buckled down. Um, I found comm studies, communication studies as my major of choice. Absolutely loved it. Uh, organizational communication specifically. Um, and just dove in to the work. Um, moved back home. My dad was like, if you're serious, we'll let you move back into your old room. You know, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, I had experienced freedom enough that he was like, I'm not going to hold you to those high school rules. But, you know, you're still in our home. Yeah. I was like, I can do that. Not a big deal. Like, that's not a, you know, he was like, but yeah, you need to you need to focus on your education. And it's off. It's on your own dime now. Like your mom and I did what we could. Yeah. You, know, you chose, you know, to not fulfill your part of that bargain. Understandable. He's like, it's on you now, but we will support you by giving a place to live, you know, food, the basics, right? But yeah, more than the basics, if I'm being honest, but like, yeah, that sounds good. I can do that. Um, so yeah, I went back to school in 06. Um, and I remember specifically meeting at that time, my, uh, a friend um, and telling her, uh, and who eventually became my girlfriend. And I was like, listen, I can't do this. Like, I remember specifically telling her my priorities right now are my school. So if we're going to do a date night, it's like at the library, like study. <laughs> like I have got to do this. Like I would made very, very clear to her that these are my priorities. Like, and there's, you have to understand this is super important to me at this point. Like I now know I had a sense of direction. I was like, I know where I'm going. I know I'm, I'm motivated at this point. Um, I found something that I'm passionate about. What I want to do with it, I have an idea, but I'm I'm finally vested, you know, in what what I'm going to learn and grow from this program. Yeah, and how uh, how did she respond? <laughs> yeah, sure. She was like, "Sounds good." She was like, "I'm going back to school too." I was like, "Oh, okay, awesome." So she was a psychology major. I was a comm studies major, and there we are studying in the library up until like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, doing our work. Yeah. Wow. So that was super, super motivating. 
um, to have somebody experience that with you, you know, at that point in time, yeah, you know, she later became my wife, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> um, you come back to the university earlier. Yeah. You said you were, you were in school, but you weren't doing it for yourself. Now you're yeah. like, you're doing it for yourself. You, um, you said you, you, um, had some ideas about what you wanted to do with it, but you knew mm-hmm. this is the this was the path forward. Mm-hmm. When um, when you finish, when you graduate, what was next for you? Um, I graduated finally in '08, um, and I had already applied to. I had already resolved that I was going to do something in strategic communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to do something with, uh, um, like leading an organization's brand of some kind. Like I knew that I want to do some kind of work along that line, those lines. Hmm. Um, uh, I'd considered consulting as well. I was like, that would be really cool to do, but, um, I also knew that I wanted to continue my education. Um, I had been accepted to five master's programs in communication studies I'm sorry, in strategic communication, not communication studies, in strategic homes. Um, and I was like, yeah, I just need to pick one. Like, where am I going to go? I'll figure, you know, I'll make the decision in the next couple of months before the fall begins. Um, around April, the middle of April, my mom was like, um, mijo, so I know you have plans. <laughs> You know, but she was like, you know, and you want to go get a job in this, in this, you know, strategic communication space. But she was like, you know, if you can't get a real job, it's like, uh, why don't you get your teaching certification just to back up, you know? And you have to keep in mind on my mom's side, of course, her being a teacher, but all of her, all of that side of the family is in K-12 education. You know, they're all eventually became, you know, uh, social workers in K-12, teachers in K-12. I have deals that were like superintendents and principals, like they were in the K-12 space 100%. So I was like, you know, you know, go get a teaching certificate. You know, if you needed to get a a real, uh, if you can't get a real job, we can get you a job teaching. And I was like, I could only teach speech. Like, that's like the only thing I could teach. She was like, yeah, but you know, once you get one certification, you can start going for the others. And I was like, yeah fine if that's you know sure and my dad would say you can never have too many pieces of paper <laughs> like you know you can't have too many pieces pieces of paper like what's what's it's what's he gonna harm you know yeah. you know he, i was like well yeah that is true so i went to the Texas tech website and at the time i didn't know the differences between primary secondary and higher ed i clicked higher ed thinking uh, that's the post what I now know is the post certification stuff. Um, but at the time I just clicked it and I was like, okay, this is, where do I find this? And I remember reading that webpage and thinking, what? Are you kidding me? Like I, it, reading that content hit me like a ton of bricks because I was like, are you telling me that this entire time there, there could have been, there were people that are supposed to help you along your journey. And that there's actually programs of study that prepare people to work in higher education. And you're telling me that I've figured out, wandered my way through the last eight years trying to figure this out. And there could have been support structures along the way. Yeah. Like, and 
that hit me like a ton of bricks. And it also pissed me off, if I'm being frank. Because I was like, I just spent a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money trying to figure this out. And while I had some support structures along the way with my family, navigating a predominantly white institution, you know, with 30 something thousand students at the time, yeah, was not, you know, an easy endeavor when all was said and done. Um, you know, Gabe, let me stop you right there. Let me, um, yeah. for those individuals that may be listening and they may say, how does somebody and, mm-hmm. and, and how does somebody go through all of this, this experience and not realize that there are people there to help you? Yeah. Um, um, one of them is, I think the last interaction I had with the Dean was basically don't come back. You know, like it was a, you know, I did my job. Yeah. I don't ever want to see you again. You know, and that was how I internalized that message, right? Whether he meant if you need something else, come back. Like that didn't resonate, didn't resonate with me if it was there. Um, I think every communication I had with the institution was some form of disciplinary, like some form of like, you know, academic probation. So the messages were negative for the most part, that it didn't feel like there was support there to, to help you recuperate or recover, right? Yeah. Um, I remember taking a, a recovery course and thinking, okay, but also thinking, what is applicable here that's really going to help me move back to what I need to do? Like it was helpful to a degree, but yeah. it didn't help me really think through um the connections I needed to know to better navigate the institution, right? Um, I'll be honest, like, I don't even remember going to orientation. Like, that's like, like, I don't know if there was one, I don't think I went. Or if I went, it clearly didn't resonate with me because I just, I have no recollection of orientation at this point, you know? Um, And I even remember going to my advisor's office and I filled out all of my, all of my core, my, well, you know, your roadmap. I filled all of that out for myself for those last two, three years. And she didn't even look at it. She's like, oh, well, we'll talk about it next semester, you yeah. know? And even getting an appointment was a difficult component. So like, it felt like there were purposeful things of like, why would we help, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, reading that made me so mad. I was like, I can't believe, and the institution to have a program at the institution that you go to that does this kind of work. Um, I specifically remember at that time, I was like, I want to do that. Like it just hit me and I was like, I want to do that because what I went through, not that it was the worst thing in the world, but it could have definitely been better. You know, Um, I, immediately said no to the five master's programs in comm studies or in strategic comms. I remember reading the website and the applicant, that was on a Thursday because the application was due the next day. I literally pulled all the stuff I needed from the website, completed it and hand delivered my application to the graduate school the next day to meet the deadline. I graduated and I got my letter of acceptance into the higher ed program, maybe like a week before graduation. Uh, for fall 2020, fall 2008. And I called to say, can I start my program this summer? I don't want to wait till the fall. I want to start now. Like, and I started that program. I like, I told my parents, there's this graduate program. I've changed my mind. I want to do this. 
all that crap that I had to deal with the last eight years, yeah, you know, there are people that were supposed to help with this, you know, and I'm thinking about it like now my history of higher ed is like those student success conversations were just starting, you know, they weren't, they were very much focused on access. So I was like, that's not an excuse, but then they're going, you know, there could have been more intentional support. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, I want to do this program. Can I, you know, my dad was like, okay, you want to go to grad school? I was like, yeah. He was like, okay, well then we're here to support you. Tell us what you need. I was like, I just, you know, let me have my bed still, <laughs> you know, can I still stay here at the house? Um, and yeah, he let me, he's like, yeah, my parents were like, yeah, well, if you're going to do it, do it, you know? And uh, I did that graduate program in one year. Wow. I would not recommend that, but I was <laughs> motivated to do it. Yeah. And I did it. And I, yeah, I graduated in August of 2009 with my master's in higher ed- in education and higher education administration. Wow. Um, Congratulations. So that well, it was a journey because I remember taking my comp exams and like going home and crashing out for 24 hours. I was so exhausted for preparing for that exam. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I remember just thinking this is so fascinating to me because it never even dawned on me either that I could work at an institution. Like that was a job opportunity that had never even crossed my mind. Yeah. You know, um, other than that dean, I really had never seen anybody like me at that institution. So I never even wow. came across as a possibility. So when I saw that as an option, I was like, that would be remarkable to help people my, like myself who were struggling through their education. Yeah. You know, um, I got my job in, uh, I worked as, while I was in the program, I worked as a research associate in strategic planning and assessment for the Division of Student Affairs. Um, so my career in higher ed started with assessment. Um, and f- after that, moved to North Carolina for my first job in higher ed. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, interesting because I think uh, like, you know, you have this moment where you're done with your undergrad, you're applying to grad school, your uh, mother encourages you to, to maybe look at teaching, earning a teaching certificate. Yeah. And you find out, oh, my God, there's a program in higher ed. And I feel like um, for a lot of young people, a lot of people, even even a lot of our high school students don't realize there's a lot of work. There are a lot of different opportunities in higher Mm -hmm. ed. And it's often not till like you, they're sort of ending their higher ed, that first journey, that first part of the higher ed journey. And then they're like, you know what? I, I really like this work. Or... Some of them have that same experience like you, where I I don't want to see another student have that yeah. negative experience. I want to influence that. So you do your your masters in a year, and then you said you went to North Carolina, so yeah, long, long way from Texas Tech. So what um, what, what drew you to North Carolina, Gabe? Uh, work. Um, let's see. Around that time was the recession, right? Yeah, and so. Um, in many ways, my career has been defined by a recession and a pandemic <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I remember graduating. I remember, uh, I remember applying in early 09, like as, or like as early as January of that year, applying to job after job after job after job, just anywhere. Because I was like, I'm willing to go anywhere. You know, of course, my parents had a preference for Texas, but... Um, at the time, like, you know, California was struggling, Florida was struggling. And some of those positions were being, those Texas positions were being filled by people moving from California and Texas wow. into these 
you know, entry level positions because, you know, they were being laid off, you know, in California and Florida and across the US, right? Um, that I suddenly had to expand my search. And my girlfriend at the time was like, hey, I'm thinking of I'm thinking about going into the speech language pathology program. And she's like, it's in uh, UNC Greensboro. And I was like, like North Carolina. And she was like, yeah, she was like, and they happen to have a, have a job um, that has a, uh, an advisor component and, uh, and an assessment component in the work. And she's like, I think you could do it, you know? And one of my challenges at the time was translating that assessment work into other spaces in higher education. Like, you know, some people were like, what do you have programming experience to do student programming? I was like, no, but I know how to assess the program. (laughs) You know, like it didn't fully like translate in some cases. Yeah. Um, So when she said, yeah, this position has an assessment dimension to it. I was like, so I looked it up and I was like, yeah, I could totally do this. I love that it had an advising component and I love that it had the assessment component. And um, it was where the the job would also function as teaching for their first year seminar course. Oh, and so nice. I was like, I like that I could do some teaching. I like that I could do the assessment and the advising. I was like, that for me sounds cool. Um, so I applied for it like in the fall of 09 and they called for an interview. They flew me out for the interview, flew me back home. And um, just after Thanksgiving, they called and made the offer. Mm. And I immediately accepted. I was like, here we go. You know, <laughs> after I signed the letter is when I told my parents. <laughs> I'm officially bound. I got to go. Um, <laughs> and my start date was essentially January 1. Like not officially, but like it was pretty much like after the new year, I had to be there. So I had 30 days to make a move while accounting for a winter holiday um, to to get my butt to the other side of the country. Um, And I remember booking, like searching online for an apartment and just, you know, trusting the pictures (laughs) that it was all going to work out. Um, Sending my deposit. They mailed me my keys. Um, Got the U-Haul did all that stuff. And my dad was like, well, if we're going to go, if you're going to go, I'm going to go with you. Like, you know, we'll go and we'll help you. I'll help you get set up. So yeah, we started at the three day trip. Um, it was bittersweet. My niece um, had just been born in November. Um, so we were able to celebrate her first Christmas with her. And then it was, it was, we were gone. We took off to North Carolina. Um, and we were there for about five or six years, I think, um, doing that job. Um, my first year was the advising stuff. Like I said, the advising and the teaching and the um, assessment work. Um, I really liked it. Uh, the school itself was, um, had that old colonial look to it. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, it was originally a women's college. Um, so it had some social justice history. It was down the street from a HBCU, uh, which again had some social justice history. The sit-in movement for the civil rights started there with these two schools, you know, down in downtown Greensboro. And I liked that history. I liked that it was one of the most diverse school in the UNC system. I liked the eclecticness of the student population. Um, I liked that it was rooted in liberal arts. Like for mm-hmm. me, I was like, this is a great space. I absolutely loved it. Great place to start my career. 
Um, and I did that work for a year. Um, and then the opportunity was presented to, I didn't have an idea at the time of the, of the, of the divisions or the departments or any of the organizational structure of the institution. But um, the dean, I guess my boss's boss's boss. Yeah, my boss. Yeah, my boss's boss's boss. Um, took note of some of the assessment work I was doing and asked if I could do it for the division. Hmm. And I was wow. like, oh, so um, I moved from that department to the dean's office. Uh, it was undergraduate studies. And so I was like, yeah. Um, and I started that work in January of 11. Um, and doing that divisional work, overseeing uh, the assessment efforts of student success, right? The retention and completion stuff that we were doing, assessing learning communities, assessing uh, academic advising efforts, specifically exploratory advising, um, working on supplemental instruction and tutoring and those assessment efforts, like undergraduate research, all those things were things that I was suddenly thrown into that, you know, um, are typically on the academic side of the house, you know? Yeah. Um, I liked it. Um, I guess he liked the work that I did because um, eight months later, he promoted me to assistant dean. And as a, at the time, a 29-year-old assistant dean. Wow. Um, is a little bit daunting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> Um, I was super cognizant of ageism, um, walking into a space with your peers where you're literally the only person of color in the room and, um, literally everybody's at least 20 or 30 years older than you with PhDs and tenure track roles. And, you know, was that, was that tough? Uh, yeah, it was, it was really, really tough. Um, I was not always sure. Like I knew, I knew my voice, um, but I would find myself second guessing myself before I would say something. Yeah, you know. Um, and that's when my my supervisor, the dean, um, stepped in and was, you know, I would vocalize, you know, I just don't know how to navigate these spaces yet. Yeah. And he taught me. He goes, "I will teach you how to navigate these spaces." He was like. I cannot tell you from a person of color perspective because he said, I am a white man. He was like, as a gay man, he was like, I've had to navigate these spaces in certain ways too. You know, he was like, and there are some lessons that I can teach you. Yeah. Um, and, have an, and how to navigate this space. I was like, yes, by all means, Yoda, teach me the way. Because <laughs> I was like, I'd love to learn, you know, more. Right. Yeah. Um, and so he taught me how to navigate some of those spaces. He was an excellent supervisor and an even wonderful mentor. Um, that yeah, I mean, he, even to this day, we keep in contact. But he uh, really taught me how to navigate those spaces more intentionally, um, and to get the results and to navigate the politics. I think that was the first time I realized how political student success can be. Yeah, you know, in navigating those spaces. Um, and so he taught me the politics of it and how to how to work through those spaces um, and when to pick your battles. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you're going to fall on your sword, make sure it's, you know, you, it's what you believe, right? It's yeah. what you stick to. He would always say, if it's not likely to be transformative, why bother? And I was like, yeah, 
I would absolutely. I get that. Like, if, like you know, if not, what are we doing? Like, why are we still propelling the status quo if we know it's not working? You know, those kind of conversations we would get into. Yeah. So speaking of that, you know, you yeah. that those um, for you the personal experience that you had right at Tech mm-hmm. led you to led you to this work. Yeah. Now you're in this position. Now you have this this supervisor boss who's talking about transformative work. Were you happy with the work you were doing? Did it feel like you were yes. fulfilling your own mission? You know? Yeah. Um, at the time, it felt like I was starting my career in higher ed. Um, was I fulfilling my mission in the sense of, um, are we helping to propel student success? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I had gotten to a, a, the alignment of a personal mission just yet. Yeah. Like it was there, but I hadn't fully like... Uh, align the two uh so that there was a sense of congruency between them but yeah i remember thinking this is this is where i need to be this is where i want to be um but in many cases sometimes you're ready but the institution's not ready Mm. you know yeah Yeah. and i think that's where the politics can kind of come in of like you know how do we Everybody has an opinion when it comes to student success work, right? How it should or shouldn't be done, why it should or shouldn't be done, you know, um, and where the money should and shouldn't go, yeah. you know, to support these efforts um, or not even where it goes, but who should fund it and who shouldn't fund it. Like these are mm. all like conversations that come up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, but I also remember thinking it really shouldn't be this hard. Like some of these are common sense components, you know. Um, I remember like the 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 uh, the debate. I'll frame it as a debate. The debate around supporting exploratory students, you know, undecided populations, and thinking, is there an argument that they're saying that they have the capacity? Because the numbers don't show that, you know. But yeah. the, you know, the data is not aligning with the with the narrative, and you know, again, this is no shade to the school in any way, shape, or form, but. It was just at the time, the dynamics were different, right? And so, yeah, I think learning to navigate that was was a big professional lesson um, in understanding how student success is political in some way, shape, or form. And thus, I was thinking, I remember thinking, huh, I wonder if these conversations ever happened while I was an undergraduate student. Mm. And was I seen or considered in those conversations? You know, and the fact is, I will never know. But I was like, huh, I wonder what was said if an opportunity was presented. You know, like those kind of things start to mirror back for myself. Um, Yeah. So you're in North Carolina, you said five to six years. Mm -hmm. And then what happened then? Because it sounds like based on everything you've given us, like Um, you're on this upward trajectory. Yeah. You know, getting, you know, promoted and having a lot more yeah. influence and opportunities. So then what happens? Um, well, we got married in 2014. <laughs> and when we got married, we got married here in Texas. Um, and I think that sort of set for us a desire to come back. Like We had been in Texas. We had been out of Texas for a while. Um, we loved where we were. Um, but I think it was like, do we want to go back to Texas? Do we want to be closer to family? You know, 
And I think we, that was a desire. Like that started slowly coming into our personal conversations as a couple. Well, I said, okay, well, I'll start checking out to see, I'll explore it, see what comes up, what happens. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, uh, there's an AVP for student success at this new school down in South Texas. And she was like, what? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, how do you feel about South Texas? Neither one of us had ever been to South Texas. Like, <laughs> I think the farthest I had been was Laredo. Um, <laughs> and I think maybe for her, San Antonio, maybe Houston, Houston, Galveston. Um, and she was like, I was like, but it's a new school. I said, so I did my research on the school and I was like, oh my gosh. I said, it's not just a new school. Like, there's two schools that are coming together. I was like, there's history here. Like if there was ever an institutional novella to write, this would be, (laughs) I was like, I, but I was so intrigued by the opening of the new school. I was like, this is really, really cool. Um, and I also was like that AVP position sounds amazing. I was like, I could do that. Um, I put my name in the hat, never got a call. never thought about it ever, ever again, you know, and let it be, um, well, then a couple of, uh, I don't know if the position was a reposting. I want to say the position was a reposting. Um, well, nonetheless, um, I didn't get that AVP position. But I was like, hey, if they just posted, they either posted or reposted this director of advising position. And I was like, that sounds really, really cool. I thought I could do that. Um, so we agreed to put my name in the hat. Um, that was like in the summer, I think. And uh, I got a call back. And, you know, I met the AVP. <laughs> and I was like, congratulations. <laughs> New role. Um, and I was like, I can see us here. Um, I think one of the things that I don't think I had fully realized was how much I missed being around my community. Um, And for all the wonderful things that UNCG is um, in its diversity, uh, we did do, we did start in that while I was there, some, uh, the, uh, we started Alianza, which was a faculty staff Latino association. um, And we were beginning to pick up uh, intentional efforts to serve Latino students on the campus. Like that was a conversation that was emerging. Um, But I also think that sort of sparked um, early early parts of what I felt when I was in NHI as a high school student, of connecting to my community, of mm. you know serving them, of being a part of that community, being uh, motivated by the success um, and the uh, and the cultural elements of my community. That when we went to the valley um, and accepted the role as the director of advising for UTRGV, that was a level of excitement that. I think I definitely needed my career at that point. It rejuvenated me in an entirely personally and professionally. And, you know, um, that was when my why, my personal why and my professional why started to come together more intentionally, more connected to, to the work. Um, and yeah, so I accepted the job and then we moved in August of 2015 and we came down to the Valley. And we started there. Yeah. We, um, and that's where I met you. 
<laughs> yeah, that's where, that's where we connected. That's where we um, yeah. In student success mm-hmm. around a lot of these these issues, right? You um but then but then you you know, you were in the valley till when? 2018 was it 2018 mm-hmm. that you that you left? Oh. So, you know, what what happened there? You know, you were finding um, these you know, opportunities here. This was a new opportunity yeah. to connect to community, but then, but then what happened? Um, I really loved the work. Um, mm-hmm. At the time when we moved to the Valley, I was ABD in my program. So I think that's something that I missed for you in between that was while we were in North Carolina, I got a second master's degree in communication and leadership studies uh, from Gonzaga university. Um Teaching in that uh, freshman seminar course while in that role was like, I want to teach. I just don't want to teach at the high school level. I want to teach at the college level. Mm. Um, and recognizing SACS, I was like, I need my master's degree. <laughs> I was like, and I want to teach comms. I like comm studies. I like yeah. the discipline. Um, so I went back and got a second master's degree. Um, and shortly after that, I started my doctoral program at the urging of my, of my dean. Um, it's like, I think you have a knack for this, but you really, but if you're going to move up, you need your doctorate. Like he was like, that's just essential. I was like, okay. You know? Um, so I got into a doctoral program, um, at Benedictine university um, in a higher education and organizational change program. Um, I did the coursework while I was there in online uh, working at UNC Greensboro. But when we were making the transition to Texas, I was ABD. And I was like, great, when I get back to Texas, I'll just figure out whatever my study is going to be and go from there. But as you may recall, like, you know, the opening of the school, like, I had no time in the day to like focus yeah. on any of that. Like, that just wasn't happening, you know, um, as, especially as large as the apartment. I, you know, and it's larger now, <laughs> like, like now at the time it was still a large department, you know, and the day to day is just, yeah. Um, so, uh, in about, at about 2017. Yeah. Um, well actually a little bit. Yeah. It had to have been 2017 because Miho was already born. Um, I told my wife, I was like, I, I really need to finish this degree. Like, I, I, we've been postponed too long. Like I need to, I need to finish this because as he gets older, my time is going to, I want to be at those moments. You know, I don't want to be working on my stuff. Like I want that. That's a priority. Um, so I was like, while he's young now, I want to finish this. Um, what do you think? She was like, do you even have the time? Like, she was like, you know, your word, there's so much going on, you know? Um, and I was like, I don't know. I was like, I, I don't know. I kid you not, like the next day I got in, after that exact conversation I had with her, the next day I got an email from the department chair of the program and said, hey, Gabe, checking in. Are you still wanting to finish your program? Like, <laughs> I was like, could there have been a bigger sign, you know, of yeah. just like doing the program? I was like, yeah, I am interested in doing the program, finishing. I want to finish. So we had a quick email exchange. I said, let me get some apples in order right and figure out what we got to do um well at that time um an opportunity presented itself to apply for a position at Charleston state university as their avp for student success which for me was my dream job i was like that is where that is an ideal role Mm -hmm. um 
And I applied and got the job. And one of the benefits of applying and one of the factors in considering that was it would be more strategy work and I wouldn't necessarily be in the day-to-days and I could finish my doctoral work. Mm. Um, That for me was the biggest um, motivation for it. And yeah, moved to Tarleton um, and started, yeah, started the job, loved the work um, and was able to, you know, to get through, I did it for about a year and a half. And then at the peak of the pandemic, I, an opportunity was like, you got to finish your study and you also have this opportunity to be a visiting scholar. Do you want to do this? And I talked to Kai about it. I was like, yeah, I want to do this. Like at that point, like a lot of things had changed for me in the sense of um, my motivations for being in higher ed. My why was more, I had been more astute, my values of like, you know, we need to talk about this social justice. We need to be more cognizant of our, of disaggregating our efforts. We need to be more aware of, you know, how responsive and proactive we're being in the space, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, yeah, I think I, I wanted to learn more about minority serving institutions as a result of my dissertation work. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to take this opportunity. And in June, walked away from the university and started my work as a visiting scholar with the Rutgers Center. Uh, graduated in, May, in August of 2020 with my doctorate degree. Um, COVID, COVID graduate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yes, uh, and then in, in January, started teaching um, with Sam Houston, 20, 2021. God, time on Jared And then in May of 2021 started with excellence. Yeah. Um, yeah. Early on, correct me if I'm wrong, early on, you started an assessment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now that as the, um, I forget the title, senior research fellow or senior researcher with Excellencia? Senior research analyst. Senior research analyst. Yeah. So, um, you know, a little bit of an assessment there. Uh, A little bit. Full circle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Definitely. Obviously, you know, we're not... uh, well, yeah, I would say a little bit of assessment, more research oriented, but yeah, the principles are, are there. Yeah, they're remains yeah. of it. So, you know, I ask a lot of my guests, Gabe, what's next yeah. for you? Um, I don't know yet. Um, I like doing the work right now at the national level. Um, I like right now the opportunities that are presented. Um, I feel fulfilled in my work in a way, you know, that I haven't felt in a really long time. And I think that's because my, my whys are fully aligned at this point, you know, Mm. um, I'm able to work towards, I'm, we're working with institutions who are willing to put in the efforts. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, uh, Regen- uh, that's refreshing and also uh, rejuvenating. Um, I believe in that mission of accelerating Latino students' success. It is both a personal and professional mission, you know. 
Um, so those whys and cultivating that the the potential of my community is is there, and I love that. Um, Work life balance is good right now, you know. Uh, so what's next? Um, I thought about doing something on an international level. Mm-hmm. It'd be really cool to do some work um, abroad um, in the higher ed space. I don't know what yet. Um, I want to continue doing some some publishing, um, specifically in academic advising work. Um, I had a my first peer reviewed article came out in July. Um, so that was exciting, introducing a new approach to advising. I feel good about that work, and I want to build up on that work, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as of right now, it's enjoying the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, thinking about that next step. But I'm in no rush to to get to that <laughs> next step either, you know? I'm happy. Yeah. I'm, I'm like happy right now with everything so far, you know, like I said, uh, I think I told you earlier, I do miss being on our college campus. Um, but I also know that, you know, working with my students, like in the course, in the program that fulfills that too, you know, that gives me that connection, you know? Um, yeah. So next steps will definitely be something with my whys in mind, but, um, perhaps on an international scale. Yeah. And some more research. (laughs) Well, it, it sounds like the, the most recent brief that you you put out, I think, is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of that uh, deserving of more exploration, right? Looking at that and yeah. really building on that work. Um, and it definitely sounds like you're in a you're in a great space right now. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Thank you. Um, I want to be mindful of your time, Gabe. So the last last thing I have for you is as we transition out. Um, what advice, what advice would you give a young person who is trying to find their why? You talked about your why throughout your your story. What advice would you give a young person trying to find Um, that? Well, isn't that a process? Um, the advice, so, um, Part of my research is um, is in humanistic advising, um, and one of the things I say about humanistic advising is it's less about being and more about becoming. Mm. Um, so I would say if you're looking for your why, focus on the becoming, the journey part of it, not necessarily mm-hmm. the end result. Because um, as you go through that journey, you'll discover your why along the way. Yeah. You know, and everybody comes to their why in different ways. It's not a one size fits all uh, prescription, right? Um, but yeah, that's one thing I would say is be open to your journey um, and be willing to learn to become rather than focusing on the end result. Um, and your why will come. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Dr. Gabriel Bermea, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank, Thank you, you for your story. Um, this concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Make sure you subscribe, follow, rate, all of that good stuff. And we will see you again next time. Thank you and bye-bye. <laughs>